Hi, welcome to episode seven of Design, Build, Test, Repeat. I'm your host, Mike Kivakoski. I'm Eric Bailey. And today, after a little bit of a pause, I think we're just going to kind of talk about what we've been working on. No yeah. clear agenda. Yeah, it's it's the Mike show. Population <laughs> you. How you doing, buddy? Good, good, good. Um, I figured it'd be a nice, nice time to chat about the current project I've been working on. So it's interesting. I've been on this project. I'm lead UI. So I've been doing a lot of the front end design, if you will. So HTML and the CSS, making sure we're adhering to the designs and the, the pattern library, along with a lot of the accessibility stuff. Mm -hmm. But what's, what's interesting, though, is this project, it's basically for a sister company for their app for a project that worked on for over a year, like two years ago. So we have a little bit of a different stack in that we're using Angular 2 and SAS instead of Angular 1 and less mm -hmm. on the previous project. But a lot of the work I'm doing is giving me a chance to like redo the work I did a year and a half ago. And so... Yeah, they, you, get, you get to struggle with past Mike's decisions. Yeah, yeah. And so there's been like a lot of, of patterns and such that I've either been like, how am I going to build this? And then I look back at how Mike of 2016 or 2015, Mike of 2015 or even 2014 built it. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. Nice, nice job, Mike. That guy, or, was an, that guy was an ass. Yeah. <laughs> some of the things were good. Some could definitely use improvement. There were situational things that occurred in the first project, like they do in every project. Mm -hmm. But it's been nice to basically like with that not with like that year of knowledge to basically go back and rebuild everything. Yeah. And just like how much more clean and fluid things are this time around. Mm -hmm. And it's also so in the first project we built a pattern library, basically like component based. Yep. So everything was responsive. And the library was broken out into the different components and then you know, if they had different variations and how we could use them. And going back and actually like using that for this new project, just like 100% confirmation of just how nice it is. Like what a great asset to build for somebody. Yeah, I always love to see like when a pattern library isn't aspirational, but is actually practical. And it's, it's not like something that you put the perfect version of something in that you'll never touch, but it's actually the source from which you draw, draw from. So I'm glad that's really working out. Yeah, it's been awesome. And it, it's also helped in that like the pattern library wasn't perfect. I think there are things we could do to improve it. Things like, you know, so a lot of the situations we put, it's basically like you copy the, the HTML from that, you put mm -hmm. it in to mm -hmm. the new project and then you update it. Like making that transition a little bit easier and less copy and paste because with a copy and paste, you're introducing like the possibility of human error. Yeah. So like getting around that somehow to the point where like, if I could actually pull in the component somehow and mm -hmm. then bring in my data on another layer. Yeah. Would be super helpful. It feels, it feels like some of the newer frameworks are starting to really kind of embrace that where it's, you know, you really have this abstraction between content and presentation, which I'm all for. Yeah. Let's let's talk about perfection because that's a that's a fun thing. So like personally I've suffered from analysis paralysis where it's you know to commit to making something you want to nail it the first time out. And kind of what I've figured out in my in my old age is perfection's kind of a lie. There's 
doing what you think is best in that time with what you know. But then, you know, coming back to older work, like you said, like the industry changes, technology upgrades, you know, there, there's always room for improvement. There's always kind of how the idea of what's perfect in your head meets the reality of the situation. So I was wondering if you could kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I think you've hit a lot of good points in that discussion. And I think this project and the one before it were both eye-opening and the for me in that basically like to try try and get something absolutely perfect the first time around is pretty much like impossible because mm-hmm. you're going to run into something you're going to run into some sort of constraint whether that's a like a browser constraint or a time constraint or a money constraint or a skill restraint or a resource restraint like there's going to be something that prevents it from being like absolutely perfect and it's going to change at some point mm-hmm. so i think having that flexibility like and knowing ahead of time that like you know it's the the old saying, like, how do you eat an elephant? Like one bite at a time. Just a lot so of barbecue like, sauce. Just, yeah. Just. <laughs> yeah. Just break out the sweet baby rays and just like, <laughs> and just like steps. Cause on the, on the first project, you know, we did a lot of accessibility and we used a lot of um, like Chrome browser extensions for, for checking things. And so we got a lot of the HTML, right. And a lot of the area labels and such, but on the new project, we're running Axe, um, yep. which is an automated, testing suite that we put in our end-to-end suites. We're using Protractor. So for the less technical, actually, do you mind kind of going into what an automated test is? Yeah, good call. Sidebar. So an automated test, it basically, you describe how the app should like walk through the, or how a user would walk through the app and they hit different links or different endpoints, um, different data can be shown and such. And so the benefit of this as a developer is you write these tests to check your work to make sure that as you're building new things or fixing things or refactoring that you're not breaking other parts of the of the site. Mm-hmm. And so what's nice about having Axe, which is open source, it's by Deek uh, Labs. Is that Deke, how you pronounce it? Deek Systems or we'll link. Yeah. They're good people. Yeah. It's awesome. So it's open source project, but it's supported by a for-profit company so it's not a pro it's not a project that someone pushed out and is just like dying it's like constantly getting better and they're putting new updates to it which is awesome as an open source maintainer you've just made me very sad <laughs> sorry sorry no it's fine it's fine but it's like you know that, that's the truth not to like go down the open source yeah. rabbit hole but like yeah. when, when you have money behind when you have money supporting open source it tends to be like updated better yeah they're not better but like more frequently, like there aren't huge gaps of time. Like, yeah. Side note, my bad. So, but we're, going we're, back, we're in the side note of a sidebar. So, going back to it, going back to it, <laughs> running Axe automated. So, it basically it hits their API and runs through a series of tests. And one of them is color contrast. Mm-hmm. And it's, it was amazing to see like the amount of color contrast issues, you know, very, very slight just missing that point, but they were still issues. So we could go back and fix those color contrast issues in this in this version. And what's nice about that is we could bring that up. So the sprints for this are basically three weeks and about two weeks into the sprint, we basically sit down with the design team on the client side, walk through what we're building for that sprint, you know, and get feedback. And when we had come up with color contrast issues, we could show them the tests say we found this alternative color that fits for now but 
if you want to give us, you know, a better color or a color that more suits your brand. Yeah. You no. Know, and we'll link them to the is it web aim color contrast checker? Yep. Or something like that. Yep. I'll link to that as well at dbtr.fm. So I kind of it's interesting because like I I dipped not into your project, but the sister project you kind of mentioned earlier. And we also kind of found that Axe also provides a Chrome browser extension you can put on any site and see exactly the same kind of thing. And you know, one thing I kind of noticed is that microcopy tends to be where these contrast errors happen. And it's one of those things where it's like, yes, it's small, but it's so important because a lot of these things are the little unsung heroes of the interface that like at a time of crisis, they kind of help steer, you know, how you do input validation, what this legal term actually means. And it's easy to make your big headings high contrast because that's what you're kind of focused on. But it's really good to have these tools that check these little things that are actually tiny big details. And it's helpful. Like you said, like microcopy is usually where like when users get stuck in a flow, Mm -hmm. it's usually like the little pieces of content, those microcopies that are giving them feedback on how to get unstuck. So if they can't see it, it's- You got a problem. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of useless. <laughs> yeah. So another thing I was kind of thinking of is sort of you know the, the perfection thing in your old work with accessibility. And I know you and I have a, have a passion, so obviously this podcast is gonna be a little biased, but you know, not to mince words, accessibility is really freaking tough to do. You know- Su- Super tough. I like to talk a big game, but when rubber hits road, it's just, it's a very all-consuming practice and I wish it wasn't, but you know, this is the world we live in. And one thing I've kind of seen for accessibility compliance is again, that analysis paralysis and that fear of perfection. Like it kind of what I want to stress is a little goes a long way and you can progressively roll these things out. And the more you kind of work to make an interface accessible to all, like the better it is for everyone. So just not waiting for that perfect moment when you know all of how to make everything accessible for every browser and just start chipping away at little or you know smaller problems. It's a great way to kind of start learning about how these systems work. You know, personally, I'm awful at JavaScript and it's been a great way to kind of get more familiar with how it operates and, you know, kind of solving two problems at once, like learning, learning how this logic works and also kind of learning how assistive tech works and using one to power the other. Yeah, and it's going to make you, the listener, you know, a better designer, developer, more empathetic to other people. And that uh, there was a quote somewhere that like, we're all, was it, we're all temporarily abled. Yep. Like at some point, you know, if you, if we all live to old age, at some point we're going to have some sort of disability yeah. come along or like the temporary or the momentarily ones. My favorite is like everyone's disabled when they're drunk. <laughs> but going back to you know the like the taking off small bits or whatnot, like as you build a component or as you build a new feature, if your company doesn't do any accessibility and you're working on a new feature and you start creeping in some accessibility features on that feature, you know, that's like a great way to get started and to show some of the benefits yeah. of it. Yeah. And it's again, you know, why I love living style guide component-based design systems, because in a perfect world, you get to use it over and over and over again. So if you get that like platonic component correct, 
then everything else is going to be matching that. And, you know, you don't have to chase down quite so many little details. Yeah, which is super helpful. And not to go on like a bit of a different tangent, but going back to like that, the first project I worked on in like 2014, 2015. I I think that's the main thread. I think we've like tangented our way back to the main thread. Back to it. (laughs) (laughs) On that project, like we... We had the front end performance, I thought like pretty, pretty decent or whatnot. But then after that project, we had a scope of work to actually improve the performance. And so I didn't work on that, but a couple other folks here at Cantina did. And I mean, what they were able to do in terms of like refactoring and some of the loading and stuff to like get pretty substantial performance metrics, mm-hmm. you know, blew me away because I'm not as familiar with that as I, as I would like to be or as I should. But what was nice was like coming out of that, they basically had like a list of recommendations that we then like started to use from from the beginning on the second project so that we could try and use as much of their knowledge as possible yeah, on this one. Which is crazy. I, I yeah, let's let's talk about ego, because that's another kind of thing I think here. Just like getting specialized knowledge workers, you know, such as yourself and myself and our coworkers at Cantina and just in different fields of focus, like kind of having your work put through the thresher <laughs> like that and having it come back. Like, I think there's kind of two ways to react to that. There's the, like my precious, perfect thing. Oh my gosh, how could you? And then there's, I think more of the like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's make this better. Absolutely. And I think that's, you know, going back to the, even the perfection thing in the beginning of this, like you can always make your work better. You can always make it faster and a faster site is going to be more accessible. So like, we're just, we're now bringing like these six tangents just all together, <laughs> all, all at once. Voltron, <laughs> all four, but the head. Yeah. yeah. But then, you know, it helps. Cause then it's like, all right, we've learned, you know, X, Y, and Z for performance upgrades. Mm-hmm. So any project going forward for this company or the sister company, like we can, for the most part, we can solve those X, Y, and Z issues up front. And then we can work on like ABC issues to start to get like, you know, the millisecond performance yeah. increases. Yeah. It's it's so fascinating, like trying to quantify these things because, you know, most most places are very focused on, you know, feature, 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 visuals, visuals, visuals. But I think these incremental gains, especially with performance, are just so valuable. And it's nice when you see somebody prioritize it, you know, and put their money where their mouth is and being like, well, you know, the UI is the right colors and we're on brand and it does the thing. Now let's make it faster or like let's optimize it. Yeah, because sometimes you see, you know, just like 150 millisecond increase mm-hmm. or a 200 millisecond increase. And when like when you say it like that, it doesn't sound like a lot. But if you fix four or five or six of those issues and you're now a second faster, mm-hmm. like a second faster has something like a 5% increase in conversion yeah. or, or something crazy like that. Like There's a direct correlation between performance and bounce rate. And, you know, I think anything over a second is where you start to get into like exponential, like I'm going to just close the tab. It's wild. Cause like if you're a company that say you gross like a couple million a year and you can get a 5% return off spending you know, a couple hundred thousand on performance, Mm -hmm. like the return on investment on that has potential to be huge. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's so weird to see, you know, it's like, yeah, we could do that or we could make a modal, (laughs) 
<laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it's, I think it's important to kind of quantify these things and get them up in, in front of clients and getting, getting them into a situation where they can understand and appreciate it. Cause I think another thing we kind of tend to do in the industry is talk shop even when we shouldn't be. So it's, it's not about how you can like asynchronously load, you know, non-critical resources. It's how you can save like 80% of your server costs, you know, annually, like that kind of thing. Yeah. Quantifying that with like actual dollar amounts and business reasons. Yeah. I mean, it, it's huge, you know, oh, would you like to save $500,000 this year? Mm-hmm. Well, let's spend a week and like optimize this and in theory, you should. Yeah, there's got to be a better way. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing. And then another tangent. So with this project, because it's a lot of it is very similar to you know the the first V1, if you will, or I guess it's not V1. It's the sister project. A lot of it's similar. So at this point of the project, you know, we have that pattern library. We have the previous project to reference, and because a lot of the components are getting reused, we've saved a lot of design time mm-hmm. where they're not like working through like full page mockups or even full design components. Mm-hmm. At this point, we're getting basically just like wireframes of like, this is the where the component, this is where this component goes. This is how this should look. So we're able to build based off these previous designs and this pattern library. So we're saving time and money on the design side. Yeah. And then when we encounter new UI pieces, if there's nothing already created for it, a lot of the stuff I've just built in the browser and then I show it at design review and we have maybe one or two rounds of edits to go back and forward through, like tweaking small things, like maybe a specific table column should be right aligned or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing just like how much quicker it is to build the front end of this working like that. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like another, it sounds exactly like another one of those, like quantifying these things because just the amount of time you've saved over and like some of that too i think is is common having sharing a common language you know there's alignment from business all the way down to developers and you know the designers are calling these things the same thing as the marketing team is are calling them the same thing as the developers it's great how these kind of little changes can compound yep it's been nice having like that common language but then also the ability to like build this stuff out. And then like when we come across new components, you know, we can base it off something. Or if we think there is like a better way to do it, we can kind of present those ideas. And then it's like, you know, either like, yes, no, or all right, yeah, let's let's try it and see, see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. That's another kind of good point is like the more standardized your interface is, the more you can kind of make mistakes safely. And, you know, like, you know, testing and CICD and integrated tests and stuff like that, like, are the little robots that are there too? like, when you play around, are there to warn you about all the things you don't think to think about, which I love, because then you can kind of like, be like, well, yeah, what if we just completely rip this thing out? How does it, how does it work? Or let's drop this new component in, like, what changes? And then, you know, there's, there's a little robot that does all the work for you. That's like, oh, well, you know, on this page, we never even thought to think that these would interact that way. And, oh, nope, 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 nope. So now here's some more design criteria we have to kind of accommodate. Yeah. And it's helped. This ability has helped keep everything uniform and consistent throughout the site. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in the previous project, if we had multiple designers on it, you know, each comp might be like a little bit different mm-hmm. or whatnot. So with the 
the pattern library and with this ability to have like basically these these reusable components and these global st- like global type styles and colors set and variables like if anything was ever a variation off we would just default to what we had in the library or in the variables mm-hmm. bring it up during design review and 9 times out of 10 like that was fine unless if there was like that one use case where it was supposed to be different in which case yep so i think you kind of buried the lead here a little bit too with this abstraction stuff there's the theme layer you know you you think you got a system and then here comes the curveball of oh well there's this there's content and then there's presentation and then there's the presentation on top of the presentation where some of these things the button's going to be blue instead of red for certain people and it's going to be green instead of you know orange for other people and like having a lockdown system really helps with that cuz you can start to really separate these things out yeah and we we don't have so much theming on this project but on the first one we definitely had some theming and so it turned into that where you know, if these buttons are all going to be a different color for this brand, then we can do that easily via this one class or this one variation mm-hmm. and then, you know, update it in that theme style sheet or whatnot. Something I think we did a better job of this time around is we tried or we pretty much used the BEM um, CSS naming convention. Mm-hmm. And so at first, like it's super ugly and long, but after being on this project for like eight or nine months, like. I can go into any component and pretty much see what anything does like super easily. Yeah. And being able to see like the dash dash modifier to where it's, you know, if it's going to be red or blue or that's not really what we call stuff, but that's just an example. I like it so much. I've started naming my screenshots of that <laughs> and, and my gifts and such. Like I start doing, you know, like client name, the page, dash dash and then like whatever component it is when I'm making gifts to send back and forth. I'm, I'm just, people. I'm picturing your spice rack now labeled with like BEM, like this is oh, yeah, yeah. like spicy, like dash dash <laughs> chili pepper. Chipo- Chipotle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, embrace BEM, embrace your new life. I've really enjoyed it. But what's interesting, or what I found interesting is along with that, we also use utility classes, mm-hmm. which can start to get unwieldy. The purpose we did it was to try and keep as many people out of the CSS or the SAS files as possible so that when we build new new components or new pages, basically anybody can take like a series of classes and make whatever variation of component they need for the most part. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm a bit of a control freak and by a bit, I mean a lot, you know, a designer, <laughs> wow, go figure. Um, but I kind of like utility classes are awesome if you have a very small team and then you start to get into the trust issues of letting people have right access to the utility classes without a full understanding of their power. I think there's also like problems with knowledge and discovery where it's like, unless you are perfectly versed in every utility class, I've seen a lot of places where people reinvent the same thing and then you get like ambiguity. Yep. Yep. And it's, that's actually one of the reasons like we moved to like a global utility system is, so we're we're using Angular 2, which has been, has been a nice experience. Like I, I'm not that great at JavaScript, but what's nice and a curse about Angular 2 is that you can break everything down into a component folder. Mm-hmm. So inside that folder, it has the components HTML, the component CSS, the TypeScript, and then your spec. Yeah. And 
the CSS for that component will only be pulled into the site when that component is used. Yep. So that's nice. The downside of that is that if you have common styling shared throughout the site is that you have to basically reuse the same CSS in every yeah. component style sheet. Yeah. And, and so we noticed that trend of, you know, there's like four different ways to set text right on an element or something like that. Yep. So what we ended up doing is we ended up creating like a global batch of SAS files for like these utility things for like layout and typography, color variable, like your common global things. Mm-hmm. And then when components are reused or styles for components are reused, we'll create a global style for that. Um, Cause it's still, the style sheet's still like fairly small. I'm sure like if they do a performance project it, it can get smaller and faster. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a good point there about like developer ergonomics versus user performance. And I think there's a sweet spot unless every byte is critical to the point where you really, really, really need to do this. There's, I think there's a happy medium between a couple extra K of wastage, you know, from a performance perspective to just sort of make the system usable by the people that have to operate it every day. And, and like, and I think another part of this is honestly just education, like being like, the reason we're doing this is because of these reasons. And this is, should be your kind of your guiding principle going forward you know, depending on how far you are on that performance versus ease of ease of development spectrum, I think it's it's so important to get kind of a common understanding just so you don't do all this work and then have it immediately undone. Yeah. Yeah. And so we've tried to like move towards that so that we're in like that happy medium and all the styles, you know, they get minified, all the comments get stripped out. So I have been mm-hmm. verbose at leaving comments <laughs> about like, you know, what what this thing does, where you can find it, like, except just like anything yep. I'm, I can think of, I put in a comment. Cause then, you know, Mike today is like, thank you, Mike from six months ago. I yep. appreciate you. Yeah. I've heard of shops that just, they don't code comment and it's like some sort of mark of like weird machismo developer pride. And like, I want to start a side business where I just go and slap people that do that you, <laughs> like you're you're ignoring the people that make the technology for some sort of weird like self-imposed limitation yeah. and it's just it it boggles my mind and especially as like being consultants like we're not we're not on this project forever in fact mm-hmm. i don't even if you work in-house you're not going to be on a project like forever that's yep. going to be handed off to somebody else at some point and like you said the knowledge and transfer like they're going to need to get up to speed so like the more stuff you can give them that's easily digestible, fantastic. Mm-hmm. Cause like yeah. who's gonna read like a 20 page wiki about like how all your CSS is set up when I'm just looking for mm-hmm. like one component. But if you put that yep. information next to that component where I'm gonna find it, thank you very much. Yeah, and I think, you know, you really kind of had something with, with past mic versus current mic as well. And just design for yourself or develop for yourself, which isn't your personal preferences as much as it is, you know, you think you're going to be in this headspace forever, but you're really not. And then like life happens, you're, you might have a kid and you're not sleeping for days at a time and you're just not going to be in the same mental place, but you're still expected to work with this stuff. You might move off the project and come back, you know, a year later with a completely different kind of headspace for how you operate stuff. You know, you just might have a really crappy day at work and you just can't focus. And like a little breadcrumb trail that says like, I did this because of that 
it's so valuable and then it's stripped out for the final end result. So it, it costs you nothing. Yeah, it's literally nothing. So it's like, do it, do it for yourself, do it for the children. <laughs> think of the children. <laughs> uh, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Good, yes. good job, good yeah. job, kids. Good talk. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, based like to summarize, like make things easier for yourself, like take smaller bites. Don't be afraid of not being perfect because you're not going to achieve that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just be a friend to yourself. And I think by being a friend to yourself, you'll be a friend to others. I like that. We should put that as like yeah. a tagline under under the site. The more you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll have show notes and everything on the website. It's dbtr.fm. Until next time, I'm Mike Kivakoski. I'm Eric Bailey. We'll, we'll talk to you folks soon. Bye. All right. Bye-bye.